Today on Sagittarian Matters, Phantom of the Opera, and your most pressing advice questions answered on a very special Pride edition with my guests Beth Pickens and friend of the show Morgan. Stay tuned. Sagittarian Matters, Sagittarian Matters, what's the Hello from Portland, Oregon. This weekend, June 15th, I will be leading a queer comics workshop at the Rendezvous with Risk Literary Festival in Bend, Oregon. If you're in the area, please come. If you're not in the area, get in your car and make haste so we can make comics together. On to this week's show. Gay Pride in Los Angeles was last weekend, and I did the gayest thing that I could conceive of, which was to see a performance of Phantom of the Opera at the Pantages Theater with friend of the show, Beth Pickens. After which, we gave a little bit of a rundown and talked about the Phantom and why it seemed queer to us from the mobile Sagittarian Matters recording studio. In the midst of our recording, a coyote boldly walked right in front of the recording studio as if to send producer Ponyo a very aggressive message. Don't worry, producer Ponyo is safe. Let me tell you about Beth Pickens. Beth Pickens is a Capricorn, an arts consultant, a strategic planner, and a grant writer. She is also the author of the book, Your Art Will Save Your Life with Feminist Press. Beth is a frequent contributor to Sagittarian Matters, and you can find her on Instagram at Beth Pickens Consulting. Now please enjoy my talk with Beth Pickens. Beth Pickens, welcome back to Sagittarian Matters. To a very special Gay Pride episode. Happy Gay Pride. How did you celebrate Pride today? I mean, doing what I do best, going to Phantom of the Opera. I actually went to two, two gay theater experiences today. Both theater pieces were about the theater, I realized. Really? I saw Indecent, Paula Vogel's play, and that is about a play. And Phantom of the Opera is also about the theater. and what okay so we discovered a lot of things at tonight's um los angeles pantages theater rendition of phantom which is playing through july and listeners in los angeles make haste get your tickets (laughs) it is worth every penny i have to warn you to get good seats be cautious about not being under the lip of the balcony don't don't be under the overhang the pantages is such a spectacular of a theater, I think you want to be down front. I mean, we all know about the phantom action that happens. Maybe you want to be under the action. Let's briefly, for people that aren't familiar with Phantom of the Opera, maybe you're straight, maybe, I don't know what, <laughs> the, the gist of the Phantom of the Opera is... Well, I mean, I did a deep Wikipedia hold today. So the Phantom of the Opera is originally based on, on a novel. It was a serial novel by um, a French author at the, during the Belle Epoque, early 20th century and it's about, it's based in the Grand Opera House of, of Paris. And some of the stories and lore about it that we see now in contemporary family opera date back to that actual 
opera house. There is a lake under this opera house. A lake? There is a lake that still exists that Parisian firefighters use to practice night swimming, I learned on Wikipedia. Oh, wow. And the infamous chandelier story apparently is based on something that happened, and, and a chandelier actually falling. I don't think a phantom was involved. I think it might have crashed. Interesting, interesting. Well, tonight, nothing really fell. But except our panties for the phantom, because what we learned, okay, I already knew that all that most gay people had a phantom phase and that Phantom of the Opera maybe created a lot of homosexuals. Well, so the gist of the show is that there's this opera house. There's this girl that's kind of an understudy, a, cor- a chorus girl. And then uh, the, the main lady gets scared of this phantom who's been haunting the theater. And so then everyone's like, well, let's see if this girl, Christine, can sing. And guess what? She can because she's been tutored by an angel of music who is our phantom. Yes. And you can tell when the phantom comes around because he sings his own name. Yeah. He <laughs> refers to himself in the third person, which we don't, we wouldn't sign on for for anyone except the phantom, I think. Because when he enters the room, he goes, the phantom of the opera is here. <laughs> um, and also he calls himself OG. The opera ghost. I know, which is unfortunate. Unfortunate now. Right. Maybe not before. But this, you know, Andrew Lloyd Webber's rendition of Phantom of the Opera came out in the mid-80s, swept the world. Yes. And a whole generation of invert homosexuals, such as me and you, <laughs> yeah. became gay from Phantom of the Opera. In fact, I remember at my 24th birthday, 23rd birthday, I remember we had a big circle of people sitting in my house. And we all one by one revealed that we all had a phantom phase in our youth. Yeah. All these gay people. And we did, I discovered in that moment, oh, this is an important gay route for a lot of people, is having a boner for the Phantom <laughs> of the Opera, which tonight watching it, I realized is a gay story. It, I Okay, so he is an outsider. He has a problem with his face. That's why he wears the mask. You know, he's hideous. He's like, deformed from birth, he says. His mother rejected him. Get in line, Phantom. <laughs> he was like part of a freak show, basically. And then it was... But he was a genius. He was a genius. And also through shadow play, they kind of, you know, alluded to him killing his captors and getting away and living under the theater. Right. But so he loves Christine. He's been tutoring her. But guess what? Uh, this man comes around who's her boyfriend and right. then he gets pissed and then the theater gets sold and he's pissed. And so that's the gist. Yeah. And, but he's a little controlling. He's a little manipulative. Right. Well, w- another thing that was revealed to us tonight is Family of the Opera is really an S&M story. Yes. Okay. And when you look at it as purely an S&M story, first of all, all of our sexualities make sense in a frightening new light. Yeah. And it feels like, you know, oh, he killed a few people. Okay. But oh. that part aside, it is just is just an S&M musical. Yeah. So basically what he's like, I gave you this power. I taught you. Mm-hmm. You're mine. You sing for me. You come to my underground lair and I write music that you sing and you are my, your voice belongs to me, which is kind of hot. I was in that actual relationship before. I mean, we all were. As, as seen in the book, <laughs> Calling Dr. Laura. Uh, I, I think it is very similar to the vibe of David Bowie from Labyrinth. Um, when like Jennifer Connelly gets there and she's being kind of sassy and she's like, get me out of here. Give me the baby. And he's like, I did this all for you. All I ask is that you obey me. That's all I want. I have done so much for you. It's a similar kind of hot. It's all S&M and it shaped all of our sexualities in the late eighties. Yeah. How, how it plays out today. I cannot say on the air. (laughs) We can't, we're not going to reveal that on the podcast, but. Yeah. We were shaped by this. We were shaped by this. And also, 
does anybody root for Christine and that normal guy to go off together? No, nobody wants her to go have the normative life with the with the Viscount, no. that horrible chip of a man. I just keep thinking, what do you call him? The cis man. The like, cis man. I know. He's the cis man. Nobody wants her to go marry him and have a regular life. We want the fandom to win. We want Christine to choose him and like live in the underground lair and make her life about her art. Duh. Well, yeah. So then- Don't go procreate with that fucking Viscount. <laughs> well, that's the thing too, is that the show is a little bit also about like choosing your art. Right. And so the fandom teaches her to sing. So she sings really well. And then this Viscount, this guy hears her singing and is like, swing. And right. so then he comes knocking. Well, he th- remembers he knows her from his youth. Yes. They were alleged. They hung out a couple times when they were tweens. And then in the, in the play, no spoilers, but they hang out twice and then they're betrothed. And then she's like, I want to marry you because she's a lesbian. Yeah. She's like, oh, <laughs> I, I'm seeing you for the second time. <laughs> Let's get married. You have to promise you'll love me forever. But the, but the part of that that's like uh, ye old and U-Haul is she said, show up tomorrow with horses. With horses. <laughs> with horse-drawn U-Haul. <laughs> and w- let me go everywhere you go. Yeah. Because she wants to be... She, she wants to... She wants to... She wants to top from the bottom. She wants to have someone tell her what to do. Tell her what to do. Tell her what to sing. Yeah. She wants to be the star, but there's somebody... Pulling the strings behind. Yeah. 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 Tale is all the time. We were all in this relationship in the past or currently or in the future. <laughs> um, how did you like this Phantom of the Opera performance compared to other ones you've seen? Um, I've, I, I, you know, I saw the made for TV movie in about 1987. I saw, I think I saw, it's hard to know which um, sort of mainstream Broadway shows I saw as a youth or as a teenager when they came to Pittsburgh and which ones I just imagined I saw from seeing commercials so many times. Mm-hmm. Like, I think everyone thinks they saw Cats, but they didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've seen non-Andrew Lloyd Webber Phantoms, mm. which just, you know, he really owns Family of the Opera at this point. Oh, he did it. He did good by it. Yeah. I mean, we were just listening to music en route to make this podcast and we were joyfully screaming out the lyrics every song. Yeah. Those are bangers. No skips. No, no skips. Masquerade, paper faces on parade, masquerade. I did not cry. I think the first time I saw it, I cried or teared up. I went with my parents. I was 16. I was hanging out with some kind of cool punk person. And I was like, oh, I got to go meet my parents at this theater to see Phantom of the Opera. It's so stupid. And then I left and I was like, and a masquerade. <laughs> and then I, I had a car accident in my youth where I lost all my tapes and I got a pickup truck after that and the only tapes I had were Phantom of the Opera and Madonna Ray of Light and my two friends who didn't have driver's licenses who I drove around all the time were so bummed that those were my only tapes <laughs> those two albums are iconic That's was true. it the original London cast recording of Phantom I believe so with Michael Crawford who is the Phantom there is really no Phantom except Michael Crawford yes I mean I could cry listening to Phantom of the Opera oh, if I really yeah tried. It's it's he's an outsider. He's a loner. He loves art. He just wants He's a freaky deek. He just wants He wants someone to love him. He doesn't socialize that well. But then he's we realize he's stoned because she tries she kisses him, tries to hug him and he recoils. <laughs> and we're like, "Oh yeah, we've been in this relationship too." Give the phantom a little tenderness and suddenly he's singing a different tune. He only wants love and then you give him the love and what happens, Nicole? Where does he go? <laughs> Well, he says, leave! Go! <laughs> well, then he he takes your boyfriend out of the gallows and says, just go, leave me behind. I do want to say, after, Beth Pickens has heard this 50 million times, but after seeing Harry Potter on Broadway, 
which has stunning effects. At the end of this phantom, there may or may not be a part where a girl who's five feet tall holds up the phantom's cloak for like 45 minutes as he exits slowly, <laughs> makes a sandwich, does his taxes. <laughs> ties his shoes. So that then when she drops it, it looks like he vanished. And there was no room. That was, that was not a trick. It was so, yeah, that was pretty busted. I just, I I think that like, it's time for a trap door or some wires or I feel like, like they've had trap doors before. Like what happened to Pantages that they couldn't figure out that trickery? But also like the stage had so many things on it. Couldn't he just have like ducked behind something? Yeah. Did it have to be that like every, <laughs> <laughs> she held it for so long. There, there was, <laughs> They're like, she's like, I've got him. I've got him. <laughs> and then he did like the fake elevator escalator walk. The Austin Bowers thing. <laughs> that, that part to me was, was funny. We brought some friends that had never seen Phantom They're, before. And, and then I, found, uh, we were a gaggle of female invert homosexuals. And then we found more of us after the show. Yeah. <laughs> We saw some lesbians outside who, for one of them, it wasn't her first time seeing no, the Phantom. she's seen many, many times. And in fact, she had seen it with other girlfriends of hers. She was here tonight with a girlfriend. She had seen it with a, a previous girlfriend before, and she said, we had better seats before, which I thought was interesting. Burn. That was a burn. Um, any other any other Phantom notes, Beth Pickens? You know, the only boring moment in Phantom for me, and I think this is a problem with the book, Mm-hmm. And maybe the lyrics is the song "Wishing You Were Somehow Here Again." the The song for Dead Father. There's something about that storyline that just doesn't stick for me. Like I don't understand the relationship between exactly the dead father and the phantom. The sea I know, story. I know. Yeah, the sea story. I know the father is like, "I'm going to send you an angel of music when I die," and then somehow I don't understand how that's connected specifically to the phantom. Has that ever been revealed to you in any of the forms? No, because I think I probably... All right, there's one skip on the album, and it's that song. It's that Graveyard song. I probably always skip that one. I do, too. I don't understand. I think that it was just a coincidence or like, was it supposed to be that the fandom was her dad's violin coach? Because her dad, in the beginning, they're like, Christine, die. Was your father the famous violinist or whatever instrument? And she was like, yes, it's true. Was the phantom his violin teacher, too? And then he was like, I want you to, like, teach my daughter to sing, but also maybe, like, creepily want to bone her after I die. I don't know. Yeah, that's that story's never really made clear. No. I When she was back in the graveyard, I was like, oh, that's nice. They're wrapping up the sea story. Like, it really was just, like, a thread that they needed to deal with. So that's my that's my one note for Andrew Lloyd Webber. Andy, if you're listening. I also want to say there's a part where the phantom is like on top of a gargoyle or on top of a some some like granite statues, and he had so much emotion that like the granite that was made of foam started like yeah. trembling. Yeah, I noticed that too. But you know what? I would smash. Would you smash <laughs> the phantom? Yeah, any phantom. Like just name a phantom from a high school production to <laughs> this guy tonight. Just name a phantom. Would smash. <laughs> mask on, mask off. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, any which way. Hair or no and hair. And the reveal tonight, we were far enough back that when, when Christine pulls off his entire head costume and we're, you see like the, the monster underneath, we were far enough back that we couldn't really get the details. So we went <laughs> to a deep Google hole, image hole afterwards to figure out how do they style this man or any phantom really? Like what kind of monster are we looking at? And it kind of depends who's, who, you know who, the, costume, who the costume person is. We've like, all fucked worse. <laughs> Am I wrong? <laughs> you're not. You're not. He's wrong. very talented. He's, 
<laughs> he's a he's I I have to say his opera wasn't that good. Is that supposed to be part of it that his opera is not his I opera's weird? About that too. I, I I thought about that too. I was like, I'm not following the opera. Like, I, I'd forgotten that it was all a ploy to get him on stage with her so that he could sing with her. Yeah. But like the the group chorus part is seems like such a mess. Yeah. I wonder if there's some people with a musical ear that are like, no, it's brilliant. Right. Everyone's singing in eighths or I don't know, some kind know, of word yeah. that I don't know. Yeah. Nobody in the crowd would have known that to be able to explain to us today. No. <laughs> it was a packed theater. The tickets were pretty packed. expensive, but still pretty far back. Mm-hmm. So open your wallets. Worth every penny. Worth I enjoyed. Penny. I enjoyed it very much. So bring your if you can't afford good tickets. Try to sit in the balcony, but bring your opera glasses so that you can see when his costume is ripped from his head and see what he looks like underneath the mask. His little patches of orange hair. What do any of us look like underneath the mask, I ask you? I have um, I have a conspiracy theory. Was he entirely in Christine's imagination and she was causing all that havoc and ruckus? Ooh. She was gaslighting everyone, not yeah. being gaslit. Does she have some kind of split personality or like split thing? And she taught herself to sing. She's been around a long time because her dad right. was there. It was always inside of her. Phantom Part 2, Electric yes. Bugaloo. <laughs> yes. And then all these people were freaking out, being like, where is he? Where, where is, is he? he? We've never seen and he him. Disip- that, that personality disappeared because she didn't need that personality right. anymore. You know, that's interesting. But he's there. Like, he sings with her on stage. There, there or, or, some, does or does he? Or does he? That's true. That's and people do try to try to shoot him. It's hard to tell if, if from this then if he's supernatural or not. There's a lot of supernatural things happening. Well, they really focus on that he's an inventor. Remember, there's quite a focus Ooh, on. Oh I see a God. coyote right by that car. Oh wow! Oh my God! Where's my cat? Where's Motsy? <laughs> oh. The coyote sees some humans. Oh, he's not sure what to do. Just in the middle. Look, stopping at the stop sign. He's stopping at the stop sign. He's looking at everybody. They're just not afraid of anything in this neighborhood. I am just on... wily coyote walking down the Talmadge Street. I'm on that horrible website called Nextdoor, where people talk about their neighbors and stuff. Uh-huh. And um, somebody was like, don't you ever notice that there's no cats in our neighborhood? And yeah. I was like, oh. No. I. You know, one of my cats has gone way of the coyote. Your cat... I thought you your cat was running with the pack of Well, coyotes. she leads them now. Yeah. That's what an animal communicator told you? Yeah. She's running with them. <laughs> Once some of my friends in Portland, their cat disappeared, and the animal communicator told them he was working on a project. He had to leave because he had to go work on a project. I mean, it's possible. It's not far off. Okay, top game moment of tonight's show. I think it's when... She's first in his underground lair. They take the gondola, the underworld gondola. Through the smoke. Through the lake. So through the lake, which actually exists under that opera house. Through the dry ice. Through the dry on ice. On the stage. And he picks her up and puts him in his bed and covers her with a black sheet. Oh, yeah. And then he gets to his music making. <laughs> and I was like, that's hot. That's a hot date. <laughs> that's hot. Somebody picks you up, puts you in their bed, covers you with a black satin Just sheet. Just lets you take a nap while they work. Hot. And you wake up and they're like, I've written a piece of music just for you. Just for you. Just for you, Beth Pickens. I mean, I don't ever want to sing in front of anybody, but... Just for him. Just for him. If he called you his angel of music. (laughs) All right. I mean, for me, I want to say objectively gay moments are when he had her boyfriend tied up in ropes in front of her. He had like, he knew a lot of knots, which I think is a... a lot of knots. That's super gay. That's a gay thing is knowing a lot of knots. Um, So the boyfriend was strung up. 
uh-huh. and was just a little freaked out, but wasn't actually right. being hurt. Um, it was a little autoerotic asphyxiation. But I am going to say that she was a little sadistic because it was a little bit like she knew his... Also, she's ableist. We're just going to say it, obviously. She knew his soft spot was that his face was fucked up. But then, like, and, and she kind of loved him, but then kind of resented him like a brat. So she would rip off his mask in front of people mm-hmm. or, like... Right, on stage in front of everyone. Yeah, or also, like, she, like when she shuddered when she saw his mm-hmm. face. I was just like... I felt like that was, like, a weird, sadist, like, cruel, manipulative... Because she wasn't like, you're so gross, I'm getting away from you. She was like, I'm still with you, but I just want you to know. Yeah. That, like, I have this power over you. It's full SM. And then, but, and then she kisses him and hugs him and he recoils. I know, he can't stand it. But, I mean, I have to say, like, society was so cruel to him. Mm -hmm. He had, he doesn't have a lot of emotional training. He's never dated. He's never been. He doesn't have tools. There's no tools. There's not even a toolbox. There's just music. No. And so, like, he doesn't know how to respond to love. love. I mean, you know what, though? Get in line, Phantom. Get in line. (laughs) (laughs) Save you a seat, Phantom. <laughs> Beth Higgins, thank you for telling us about Phantom of the Opera. It's a very special Phantom Gay Pride episode. My and pleasure. If people are fellow Gay Pride Phantom of the Opera list, uh, listeners, do you, what do you want to hear from them? I mean, we'd like to hear your sexual awakening stories about Phantom of the Opera, obviously. <laughs> okay. okay. And, like, how any any other kind of, like, 80s media that you feel like ties into any kind of, like, right. fetishy SM kind how of... How do you map your burgeoning homosexual sexuality onto things that are maybe surprising in adulthood, like Phantom of the Opera, like Labyrinth? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. And to all the little kids we saw tonight, we just looked at them all and we were like, those feelings you're feeling, they're real. <laughs> You're kinky now. <laughs> and I covered half of my face. And then I went whoosh with my cape. Thanks, Beth Pickens. Today's episode is brought to you by Shoshana Ruth Wechter. Michelle Lemoyne, Mary Pinson, Jill Soloway, and Christy Herod. If you would like to support Sagittarian Matters, including producer Chris Sutton, please send $5, $10, $5 million, that's your business, via PayPal to hornetleg at gmail.com. That's hornet like the insect, leg like its appendage at gmail. Thank you for your support, and we look forward to saying your name on the podcast. Producer Ponyo looks forward to it, too. Don't be scared. That's just Ponyo's voice. Friend to the show, Morgan, is a frequent contributor to Sagittarian Matters. She is a former vegan baker, and she loves salads and beans more than I can say. Morgan joined me to answer your Instagram advice questions about family, friends, etiquette, and more. Please enjoy my advice segment with friend to the show, Morgan. Morgan, will you help me, please? I cannot wait to help you, Nicole. I have some advice questions I solicited from Instagram.com, and I promised that I would answer them on this week's podcast, and so here we are. Rapid fire advice answers. Okay. Hi, Sagittarian Matters. I have just a small problem for you. 
I have some photos of a former partner that I no longer want to keep and want to get rid of. I want to throw them away, but worry about this being a bad thing. Where do you stand on getting rid of old photos? I am personally a hoarder. (laughs) Confirmed. I like to have a box with photos of me and exes. Mm -hmm. It's not that big of a box. It's just a little box of the highlights. Yeah. Um, I like if it's something that meant something to them, like if I have someone's senior picture, a picture Mm -hmm. of them as a child, something like that, I will keep it somewhere Mm -hmm. so that someday if we're on speaking terms again, or if I think they just need it, I'll put it in an envelope and send it to them or to their place of work. Yeah. Uh, It doesn't need to be a big thing. You don't need to meet up. You don't need to talk about it. You can just send it. But I will keep those things. Yeah. Other things, like if an ex makes me feel ill because yeah. things ended that poorly, I'll just delete the pictures. Because a lot of them are digital nowadays. <laughs> oh, are they now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe like hold on to the thing till it has no more emotional charge and then do whatever you see fit with it. Yeah, but I just kind of, I put it in a time capsule somewhere in my hoard. Like I hide it. Like it's not like, you know, front and center. Yeah. Do you have any uh, suggestions for non-hoarders? For non-hoarders, I mean, I just would say don't don't necessarily go with your emotions because at some point you might be friends with that person again or they might die. And then are you going to want that nice picture of you guys from when you were 20? Yeah. Question. I moved across the country last year with my ex and they broke up with me two weeks later um, over a text message. Because I don't know anyone in my city, I've been dating like crazy since... So I can get... No. Pause. So they can get the person out of their system? Mm, dating like crazy since so I can connect and get over my ex. But now I feel, one, like the only way I know how to connect with people is by sleeping with them. Two, that I don't know how to make friends. Three, I still cannot stop thinking about my ex who lives nearby and I keep running into every time I go to the queer events in town. Don't go to the queer events. Heard it here first, people. How do I find a new relationship that is satisfying without feeling... That's it. Over my ex. Uh, But now I feel like the only... Nope. That's it. So without just being a sex person. Um, Well, I think that to me, I'm going to pull a Jessica and Yado in this and say, I don't think the question is, how do you find a new relationship? I think the question is, how do you make friends, connect with people and get over your ex? I think, you know, I do like the advice. The best way to get over someone is to get under someone. (laughs) But it's not actually that deeply effective because any sexual relationship with a new person is kind of volatile, potentially. Like, you know, your emotions will run high. Oxytocin will make you think you love this person just because you're an animal. You're just an animal. And it just triggers oxytocin. It's going to make you be like, no, this is the person. This is the new person. This is a better person. And then you know what? You guys find out one more thing about each other, decide you don't like each other anymore. And then you're like, my life is devastated. There's nothing here. It's true. So my advice to you is chill out on the porking for a second. (laughs) Sorry to be gross. (laughs) Stop going to queer nights. Stop going places where you think your ex is going to be. Bite the bullet on that one. But you can find queer people other places. To get a friend, be a friend. I think you need to host host a game night at your house. Host a tasting party of desserts or something at your house. Like Certainly you've met some people through your ex or just around town at these queer nights. There's a couple people you know. Yeah. Um, just to follow up the, the rest of the question was, how do you make friends when you're an adult? How do I own my space in the city and get over this tender queer ex of mine? Sincerely old sea dyke in the city. I really do like your advice too. Also, um, because if you just do a thing you like, you will find people you like and you are more than just queer. That is probably part of your identity, but there's probably 
more to you than just that. So do the things you like. I mean, as in you're queer, go to a queer night. You also like fill in the blank. Do whatever. Taking a walk. To play in a game. Movies. Movies. Dogs. Just do some stuff and invite people to do those things with you or find people to do them with you. And eventually you will have chemistry with one of those people somewhere. Yeah. yeah and queer people do those things. You don't have to just go to a queer night to meet queer people. No. And, you know, I had a moment in time where I was, I was in a moment where I kept meeting people that were drinkers. And I was like, I'm not a real drinker. And somebody I know was like, well, then you need to stop looking to meet people in a bar. So, like, if you want to meet people that are not just good for nightlife, but that can live in the light of day, Mm -hmm. and that you have something in common with when you're not tipsy, the Mm -hmm. queer night is not going to be the best place. Like, I've just, I've had things like breakfast shows at my house. I've had sewing circles. I've had, but also, nobody ever does this. I don't know. Don't ask me an armchair tell you why. (laughs) But volunteering is how I have made all of my friends. That's the root of how I made all my friends my whole life. so wonderful. I love this. This is wonderful advice. Yeah. The Skillshare. Let's bring back the classics. I mean, places to find lesbians. Anything having to do with social work. Anything having to do with women. For example, I'm just going to tell a personal story. So I joined a Dragon Boat team two years ago. A thing I never thought I would do. I've never been like that. What's dying. a Dragon Boat team? It's a boat that looks like a dragon mm-hmm. and you paddle it and there's maybe 20 people all together. So you go down the river in Portland where I live or other places where you live and these things happen. Um... And uh, my team in particular is all in sign language because that was the community that I'm involved in. And um, as I showed up for practice, I was like, oh, oh, this is where all the old butches are. All my friends that are like, where are there any old butches? How do you find an old butch in this town? I was like, there's thousands. It's teeming with all outdoorsy, fit strong, old butches. And I'm by fit, I mean strong. You know I love all bodies. They're all beautiful. So I'm like, oh, just do the thing you like and you will find the people that are the right match for you. Yeah. Um, I, a couple other things. The Rock and Roll Camp for Girls is a place where you will always find people in your city. And at, lots of cities have them, small towns, big towns. There's definitely one nearby wherever you live if there's any queer people. Rock and Roll Camp for Girls is a place where you're going to find people that are both like culturally maybe have something in common with you because they're into music but also they care about kids so it takes away some of the pretense of the music scene and i promise you will find gay people there and if you mm-hmm. don't i will eat my hat Ooh, last day i want to say a lot of gay people are in 12 step and you're gonna find some non-drinkers over there if you just you know there's lots of different programs can't wait to see nicole eat her hat just kidding <laughs> there's there's no way there's actually no physical way you could ever find a rock and roll camp for girls and not find at least four dykes to quote bumper stickers, we are everywhere. Yeah. Thank you. Um, but that's what I think. And uh, good luck. But also, by the way, you can move back to where you came from. If you just moved here for this person and it doesn't end up working out for you in, say, like six months, just bail. Heck yeah. Yeah. Heck yeah. But like, get away from that ex. Don't go. You know where the ex is going to be. Don't yeah. go there. Make you don't- a smart choice and take care of yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And friendships that don't involve sex are going to be a little more sustainable, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, Nicole, next question. My son is dating an agender person. Help me know the correct etiquette for conversing. Oh, my God. I love this etiquette question. We just had Archie Bongiovanni, the author of an easy, quick and easy guide to they, them pronouns on the podcast. And... I'm paraphrasing from the book, but basically you just go up to the per- I mean, if I was this person, I would ask my son and be like, what is your, 
what are your partner's pronouns? Mm -hmm. How do I address your partner in a way that is comfortable? And then your son will tell you if for some reason that you see the the date before then, you could say, my pronouns are she, her. What are your pronouns? Mm -hmm. I just, I just want to know because I don't want to mess up. And they can tell you. Mm -hmm. The operative part in the book is that they say, do not ask what are your preferred gender pronouns. Not preferred, just identity. Just what's your, what are your pronouns? Yeah. It's not always a preference. It's just a need. Mm Mm-hmm. I like this. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm also a fan of a direct and respectful question, not like, "Ugh, what? What are you?" Of course, like, please respect. But also maybe discreet. Yeah, maybe right time, right place. You know, just want to make sure that I am addressing you appropriately. What are your pronouns? Or always offer. My dad um, used to say that, like, in maybe a business meeting, which like never happens. You know, you just go up and say your own name and you shake their hand. So I like. It's like the modern version of that, where you're like, "My name's Nicole." I, you know, I, I identify as she, her, you know, I use she, her her, pronouns and you know, what's your name? And then you just set the precedent. You put yourself out and then, you know, you don't have to do a hearty business handshake. Thank you, Stuart Alvey. And I have to say in business, if you do that all around, it makes it less weird for the person that has the pronouns that you may not have guessed. It's not like a weird spotlight. Like you're the only one you have to do all the work. Yeah. Great. Um, and then I, but after that, I just wouldn't make it an issue. I wouldn't talk to them about being a gender. No. I just like would be like, okay, that's that. And then talk about all the other things you would talk to any person about. They're just a human being. Yeah. A wonderful, hopefully human being dating your son. Yeah. Nicole, next question. Can my bi friend come with me to the dyke march? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Your bi friend could go with you to the dyke march. Wonderful. Actually, anyone could go to the dyke march, but bi dykes exist lesbian dykes exist lots of different kinds of a lot of different kinds of people and dogs can be dykes <laughs> and bye i don't know any dyke cats but oh my gosh well i do nicole's not a cat person I'm not, but i know a lot of uh, dyke dogs mm-hmm. so yeah your boyfriend could definitely come to i mean not, not to say bi people are like dogs i'm saying i'm like a dog uh but yeah bi people come to all the gay things because you're part of the lgbtqia plus mm-hmm. community mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah Cheers to that. Um, Nicole, my husband is bipolar and we have young children. I am so burned out from his constant crises in kid care. I've tried boundaries and I support him as much as possible, but I feel like a slave. I don't want a divorce um, because um, kids need a dad and he's not terrible. Just in bed half the time. Help. How do I keep my sanity? Holy cannoli. Wow. Am I qualified to answer this? Not necessarily. Will I do my best? Yes, I will. Okay, great. Um, I think that first and foremost, you need to take care of yourself. And so that might mean you having your own outside help, be that through some kind of support group, be that some kind of personal therapy, a 12-steppy thing for people that are affiliated with people who have emotional ups and downs like this. These groups exist. Some of them are free. Some of them cost money. Some things are sliding scale. Some of them is just one-on-one therapy. But I feel like, you know, something important that I know from being in some support groups for growing up around mental health issues is um, if you're going to make an ultimatum, it needs to not be a manipulation tactic. It needs to be something you're going to follow through on. So if there's something that's your core need that you need him to do, and like you need him to do it, and you need to know it by a certain time, you need to stick with it. It's not a way for you to manipulate him into doing the thing. But also, like, he's probably so down, based on what I heard, because it's not, I mean, whatever's out of whack. He seems so down that 
I think it's important for you to take care of yourself so that you're not putting your resentment on him mm-hmm. because he's already, if he's in bed most of the time, he's probably feeling pretty low. And so you don't want to add to that, but you do want to tell him what you need in a dad for mm. your kids. Yeah. And it does sound like you are maybe needing some support for your own self because maybe you have a very deep well of support to give to your husband, but you need someone to help refill your well. So it sounds like you're being both the primary parent and the primary caretaker of your husband. So maybe make sure that your friends and family are stepping up or able, or you're pooling all of your resources to support your own self or or reaching out for that because it's a really tough job and it's kind of an invisible job. And it's also a tough job, I'm sure, to be in your husband's position. But, you know, without diminishing his experience, also take care of your own experience. They're both important. And if you are his primary support person and you want to keep doing that, then you need to make sure that you're having enough emotional oxygen to keep yourself strong and healthy and and continuing in that role. Yeah, I think an important thing on top of that is like breaking out of the isolation of cuz sometimes this kind of thing can come with secrecy because there's such a stigma yeah. around mental health and like judgment and like capitalism and all oh, this person's not working like whatever whatever so it's like breaking out of that isolation with people you really trust, letting them know what's actually going on for you so mm-hmm. they see that you are the only person taking care of these kids mm-hmm. and then supporting your partner and then trying to do all the other things like I don't know what the job thing is. The house. Probably pay some bills. Probably yeah. cook some food or something. Yeah. So yeah, I think that that's an important piece in the reaching out to your friends. But I mean, you know, being bipolar isn't inherently the thing that's the problem. It's, you know, maybe he needs different care mm-hmm. than he has been getting or accessing. Or maybe something's not working anymore that used to work. So if there is something that you need, that you need him to do, mm-hmm. you know. You can be. You have to be very clear and loving about that, and that's. I'm sorry, I'm a little unqualified for this, but I'm doing my best. I am thoroughly unqualified, but um, but still a caring person mm-hmm. who's can only speak from their own experience, and also um, that being a support person, although we don't hear this often, like is a bigger job than one person can handle. Like you cannot be the entire universe for yourself and another person and your children, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, again, like give yourself credit without taking away from your husband's experience, you know, not to diminish again, but that give yourself credit for that. It's a very tough role and, and do what you need to do to be okay in your own self. You are also an independent entity outside of the context of this. Yeah. Wishing you absolutely most, 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 most best and all support. Me too. Um, I think we have one more question. But also, can I say, like, not every human sticking around is, like, the best dad just because he's a dad. No. Just saying. There might be a point where you're like, oh, this is the dad I'm keeping around for my kids, but, like, what are my kids seeing via my actions towards him, via our relationship with each other? Is that something that I want them to take in as a relationship model for their lifetimes. I always, I do think modeling is like such a great reference point where you're like, wait a minute, what I want my kids, my loved ones, my other people to do this. And sometimes that's just a great little outside check. You're like, I don't, I would not want this to happen or I do not want to perpetuate this as a pattern or whatever it is. And, and yeah, 
but it, it did wonders for me just to be weird. It did wonders mm. for me when my mom at some point in my life, she went Catholic. She got together with somebody that is whatever, whatever, whatever yeah. Catholicism. Yeah. But they were so warm and supportive of each other mm. that it was actually really nice role modeling mm. after a really tumultuous beforehand. After a tumultuous prologue, the epilogue of my mom's romantic life was actually very formative and helpful to me. Even at the time, I was like, you guys are gross. I fucking hate you both. <laughs> As an adult, I look back. I'm like, oh, that was nice to see these people act this way towards each other. But that way towards me? Not necessarily. But towards each other? Wonderful modeling. Yeah, okay. way to take a little pearl out of that. Yeah, no problem. Airster. If you have an advice question for Sagittarian Matters... Call or text our advice hotline, 971-361-9998. Leave a message. We might answer your question on the air, and we promise not to answer the phone. That is a Sagittarian promise that you can take all the way to the bank. Um, the last question is, Nicole, how do I get a job? Oh, yeah, and then we have one more about being irritated with your friend. Oh, I have to How do you get a job? Nicole, how do I get a job? Okay. The way I've always gotten jobs is, well, there's two kinds of jobs. There's the job that's like part of your life's purpose and something that you actually want to do. And then there's like a servicey kind of job that you're, a job that you have to pay the bills. Maybe service job is your job. Like Morgan, you owned a bakery. True. So, you know, working at a coffee shop was your service job that led you to, that supported you, but also led you to a bakery. Anyway, but, um. In all cases, I think being friendly and easy to work with and modeling that through whatever was really helpful. Another thing is doing for jobs that serve my life's purpose more, like working at nonprofits or teaching or whatever, doing some of those jobs for free or for cheap was helpful for me. Like volunteering at a place, this is outside of my normal day job at like a coffee shop or a call center or whatever. But like volunteering at a place, volunteering to do the thing, wanting to do an internship, an apprenticeship, whatever, taught me the skills, showed people I was interested. And so then when they were looking for someone to pay for that same service, they could look to me and be like, well, this person's already interested and they already like it so much that they have been trying to do this on their own without getting paid. Um, and so now we're going to pay them or at a certain point you're like, Hey, I have all this experience. It's time for me to get paid. I deserve to get paid okay. and, or I understand something about it so I can create my own job, be it at a nonprofit, be it as a freelancer, whatever. And I know that my path is a little different than other people's path, but that is my, that's my experience with that. And then just letting people know that you're looking for a job and telling, being very specific about the ways that you want that job. Like, here's the kind of job I want. Here's where I want to work. Here's blah, blah, blah. It is true. Uh, having known Nicole for many years now, she is a really excellent model at like saying the things she wants. And in fact, she's given my mother guidance. In fact, um, oh, yeah, I gave Morgan's mom some uh, <laughs> some tips. Yeah, um, you just just do it. It does take a little bit of like getting over your discomfort with it at first, but it like a muscle, it will develop and become less uncomfortable. I can't promise it will be comfortable, but like. You just do it. And sometimes I try to trick myself into making my body act before my brain can think where it's like, you pick up and you dial the phone and before you have an opportunity to like be like, I wish I didn't do that. And then you're like, once you're dialing, they already know you've called, they see you on their record. And yeah. then you just do the thing and you get in your body and you make the phone call and make the request. And you're like, hey, just wondering. Um, sometimes having some canned phrases is really helpful. Like what? You know, like, 
Um, I, I can't think of anything right now, but just like a, a, a line that you just know is in your pocket where you're just like, hey, just wanted to reach out and touch base, let you know I'm available for anything you might be interested in. It's a field I've been interested in for a long time. And um, yeah, I, I love what you're doing or something. You know what I mean? Just like or practice it until you're it's autopilot. But um, yeah, you can't get the job you want if no one knows you want it. Yeah. The past two significant jobs I've had. I have gone up to the heads of these places and been like, hey, I just want you to know I would really love to work here someday. And I just want to inquire about what steps I would have to take to do that. And so that's actually good to say to someone because like maybe you don't have the experience yet, but you want to know the steps. You want to know the path and you're willing to do those steps. Yeah. And also people that own businesses and hire people love to hear that. They feel very flattered. They're like, ooh, yes, you like what we're doing. I want you because you're going to be like committed to whatever it is that we're doing. So a little bit of flattery does go a long way. And that's really like flattering. Like, you know. But it's also true. It's true. And it's better when it's true. That's the thing about being a Sagittarius is that you feel very comfortable giving out compliments. Mm -hmm. But they're generally authentic. But maybe other people... Don't say, like, sometimes I don't say, like, if somebody's hair looks really good, sometimes I don't say it because I'm like, oh, they already know that. Certainly they already, but you know, then I'm like, you know what? So just tell them. Because some other people might, you might just be like, oh, that person's hair looks great. I'm not going to say anything. Yeah. Just say the thing. It's very true. And even people that you may think receive compliments all the time for whatever reason, because they're outgoing or whatever, it still sometimes really just breaks through that little shell. And maybe everyone thinks that and no one shares a nice thing with them. And yeah. we're getting off topic. That's but- why I like fan letters too. I yeah. But I want to say some of my job inspiration, some of my job inspiration is that um, at a certain point, there was a band in Portland that was very popular called Glass Candy. Mm-hmm. And Glass Candy, they were called Fancy Lads. That's mm-hmm. what we called this group of people. They was like very mod looking. Oh, yes. They looked like models, but they were playing basement shows. Just mm-hmm. like like a mini dress, like a tube top with a mini dress made out of saran wrap and like earmuffs and like a black bob and like a lot of reverb on the mic. Just look up glass candy, look at photos of them and be like, whoa, shit. The glamest glam mod band ever in the 2000s. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine moved here to be their drummer and she was like, I'm applying anywhere. She's like, I don't give a shit. I'll work at Pig and Pancake. Mm-hmm. And I was like, cool. And then I found out that glass candy, like it's two people, one of them's named johnny something like johnny danger or something and the mm. other one but they both worked at fred meyer which is a grocery store they were both like i saw them at work they both are like were like managers at fred meyer like one of them worked in the produce section wearing the polo shirt that says fred meyer yes! tucked into the pleated pants with mm. the belt and name tag wonderful like the least glamorous public facing job in portland so good is working at fred meyer like it's it's yeah. wonderful. Like there's so many jobs. There's no shame in any job. There's no job that's beneath me. When people act like they're above a job, I feel judgment towards them. When people are like, oh, I'm entitled to working at a better job. I'm like, I would do any job. Like we all depend on all these jobs to do the things that we do in our lives. Are you kidding me? They're all Thank in- you everyone for working. Yeah. Literally. Important and valuable. Yeah. All of them. So just maybe that job isn't your dream job, but just do it. And then you can do some other volunteer work or time or schmoozing or whatever mm-hmm. to get the other job. Don't stop knocking at those doors. Maybe you work at Fred Meyer and you just happen to run into someone that does the thing that you do. And this sounds dumb, but it does actually happen. If you just are like, I want to do this thing and this is my dream job and you tell everyone it's your dream job, you're just going to run into enough people that know it's your dream job. And yeah. if you're just like, I truly want to do this thing. Anyone who I know, help me get this job. 
yeah. you know, we're getting a little specific, but if you just want any job, just apply for any job. If you want a specific job, tell the world you want that job. I mean, literally each human you meet and maybe it will, it will crack the code. Yeah. Whenever I've been on hiring committees, when I see on someone's resume that they've been doing something in the field, even if it's volunteer work, I'm like, oh, they really want to do this. Yeah. Like if they have a random resume, yeah. if they put everything on it that has nothing to do with anything, yeah. they're just saying they exist. I was yeah. like, well, why? They're just applying because it is here. Like, I don't understand. Yeah. Anyway, um, so that's my uplifting story about glass candy. And the last question, <laughs> uh, really look them up if you, like, you know, really, 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 I can. I, I love really, this very 2000s Portland story. It is a very. It is and a Fred Meyer, for those who don't know, is like the everything store. Like you can definitely get your organic toilet paper and your, um, you know, generic organic protein bars and then you can also just get like an ugly beach umbrella and a like lawnmower lawnmower mulch yeah a pool noodle enemas they got them dear sagittarius matters how do i deal or be aware of outbursts when i'm near my bud i'm not sure if my friendship is toxic and then i asked them for a little bit of clarity and they said it's with somebody they're living with who's a friend who they're hoping will move out by the end of the month so you're living with a friend, they're getting on your nerves, mm-hmm. you're getting towards the end of your stay together, you find yourself having outbursts with them, and you're afraid you're toxicifying things. And there's what do you do? Keyword, which is you're hoping they'll move out by the end of the month, which sounds like maybe you haven't communicated about it. It does seem like that. That part was not part of the question, it was part of the clarifying, clarifying but that's just some extra info for yeah. us. But so it makes me think, I just think it's really important to not have resentments towards your friends and to not feed resentments towards your friends. There was a group of people in Portland at some point, queers, believe it or not, and they would all talk about each other behind each other's backs. They would all talk behind each other's backs. And I remember saying to someone like, friend of the show, Beth Ditto or something, I was talking about them. She was like, why are they all talking behind each other's backs? Like, I thought they liked each other. Like, Mm -hmm. what's the point of being friends? Yeah. And it is true. So I think about that. Like when I'm like, if someone's in my life as my friend, why would I, like you can call it venting, you could call it whatever you want, mm-hmm. but talking shit is talking shit. And so if, you're, if your roommate friend is bothering you, I just, I encourage you to try to deal with it on your own without like, like get a fucking journal or something, but without like amping yourself. Like you can tell when someone's been amped up by someone else mm-hmm. when they're having a small issue. And then they're, if I'm like, Morgan, guess what so-and-so did? And, what? Then, oh and then you're like, what? Oh, and then you have my back in such a way that I'm enraged. And then I see them again. And like, I just have this otherworldly anger towards them. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, look, they did it again. Ugh. But maybe they don't know that the thing bothers me. Maybe I haven't told them the thing I want them to do instead. It's so true just because you think it may be in quotes so obvious or like how could anybody not know or something. We all just don't know and we are whole universes unto ourselves. And like if you care about this person at all, even if you don't, I might venture to say the like kindest thing, like if you want to just put the most kindness out into the world is tell them in a kind, caring way what is upsetting to you. Yeah. Like if I left the... Toilet seat up. Oh my god, not again, Nicole! And that's one of your triggers. That's your CW content warning. (laughs) It's every time you walk in, then you're like, my stepdad always left the toilet seat up, and that makes me feel unsafe peeing in my home in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. You you could just say. Yeah, and like trust enough that your friends can handle that. I think that's also sort of an act of love. If they 
can't, maybe that's like a larger or other issue that you mm-hmm. can address at a different occasion that, you know, not to make a sandwich of challenges. Um, and there's another concept, which I really like, which seems so simple, which is like, we need to understand red flags when you're already like sweating and like, <laughs> you know, you're when not you're at a 10, like, ma- when you're already at a 10, but like identifying your, like, let's say yellow flags or whatever they are, those warning times, um, it was, uh, presented to me and I was like, oh, duh, what a great, simple concept. But when you already know, you're like, I feel like a little bummed out. I'm a little stressed out about this. And like Nicole's doing this thing again or whatever it is. Like know that, and that's the best time to have the conversation with the person because you're not already like super freaked out or flooded or whatever language you associate with that. But um, it is so much easier to have a conversation when you're not already in super upset mode. And if they're already exploding, find a time when you're just like, you know, having a hangout. And if a friend, if your friend or roommate or whatever is like, does a thing where you're like, I, th- I think this thing is happening again. You can be like. I th- I'm thinking this thing is happening again, you know, and it's kind of upsetting to me when it does. Do you think we can talk about it or whatever, yeah. whatever your language choice is? Yeah. That's something I might say. But um, when it is a calm time and everyone's not already, you know, steam coming out of their ears, yeah. eyes, nose. Processing is a dish best served cold. Ooh, Lukewarm at hottest, but not so hot. many bumper stickers. I just, do, I do, I do. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, processing, best served colds. Um, no steam coming out of yours, but there was one more thing I was going to say about that. Yellow flags. Your yellow flags, your red flags. Orange flags. Don't do it via text. That's what I want to say. Blessings! Do not do it via text. Listen, my millennial listeners. Oh, God, and everybody else. There was a time before cell phones when you had roommates. It's hard to believe, I know. And everyone knew if you left someone a note, Ugh. that was the peak of passive aggression. The note! Everyone knew that. But then text messaging started, and then it seemed so simple that people were like, why don't we text each other? But that veers into the land of the note so fast, and sometimes without you even knowing it, because text has no tone. And the more polite you're trying to be via text, the more passive-aggressive you sound. (laughs) The more you're like, thanks, thanks so much. Smiley face. The more I'm just just like, you fucking hate me? (laughs) And then somebody... No, I mean, I cannot even tell you how many times I've heard about roommates texting from their room while you're in the same house, Mm -hmm. trying to text important information, those page long texts. No, have the conversation, pick up the phone, have the conversation. If they don't answer, leave a message, call them back. Just do it face to face. You owe it to yourself. You owe it to them. Also, you know, I'm noticing something here, which is in a previous question and I've heard many times like people like, and then they broke up with me via text and that was like worse than doing it in person. Of course it's worse than doing it in person. Certain things are better done in person, not via text. Communicating about challenging things, although it might be uncomfortable again, I promise it does get less uncomfortable. It strengthens the muscle. It strengthens the muscle and like it may never be fun or awesome or comfortable or easy, but it does become less uncomfortable the more you exercise that muscle and and you owe it to yourself and you owe it to them to like have the opportunity to have a conversation about it if you want to keep their friendship. Yeah, if you want someone to fuck off and never talk to you again and block you on all social media, go ahead and text away. <laughs> but like if you want to have a relationship then like say you still live together, Mm-hmm. as roommates yep. say that you want to be friends with them or you understand that you're kind of wigging out mm-hmm. and that you understand it might pass and you might be friends someday just like give them the courtesy of knocking on their bedroom door mm-hmm. or saying like hey can we talk mm-hmm. or like call me when you're 
whatever. Yeah, yeah. It typically goes better than you think it will. It does, and I promise it'll go a trillion times better than than texting. texting. Don't text your fucking roommates. Don't text people when you're mad at them to tell them you're mad at them. Yeah. Texting is not meant for deep conversations. It's not. It's like the postcard of communication, or it's the roommate note, so... Yeah, Yeah. just don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Morgan, thanks for your help with these. Oh, my God, Georges. It is my pleasure. Thank you. Incredible insights. And also, I need to say you're wearing a ceramic seagull button Mm. this whole time. Ah! Ah! If only we had a French fry button to put next to it. (gasps) Next. Next next on Sagittarian Matters. French fry button. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton with assistance by Ponyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.